It is so good to see everyone here tonight. We do have a number of folks who are gone for the area-wide youth series up in Haleville, but we're glad that you're here. We have guests with us tonight. We're thankful for that. We want you to know that you're always welcome here at the Midway Congregation. What we've been doing for this year is studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're on chapter number 12 tonight. That's where we'll spend our time, 12 and 13. We'll actually cover a couple of chapters tonight. But as we begin, I want us to think about how God has chosen to communicate His will, His word to mankind. He gave us His word in the scriptures. We know that He gave us that. But He sometimes compared things that are known here to us with things that are heavenly. And so in doing that, He made it clearer for us, made it more understandable for us. Sometimes he used parables. He used those heavenly stories with an earthly meaning, those kinds of things. And when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we read in places where Jesus communicated with parables. He, he taught by parables. And there's even one occasion when the Bible says that without a parable, he didn't, he didn't teach. And so he was using those little stories to help people understand. Sometimes what God has done in helping us to understand is, is simply use an illustration. And, and he said there is something that, that is like or similar to uh, something else. And, and that's the case that we have tonight. We're going to be talking about the body. But it's not going to be the human body that we're discussing, even though the Bible here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 discusses the human body. He has something else in mind that, that, that is more meaningful to us than even the body that we have that we're living in. And so tonight, we want to spend some time talking about our place in the body. All of us are familiar with the human body. We're familiar with human functions. And so it should help us to be able to understand. The body of Christ is, is like a human body, though. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with us. Uh, we'll show some of these scriptures on the screen. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not going to begin with verse 1. We're going to jump on down to verse number 12. It's there, the Bible says, Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. What Paul wants us to do is, is to take a look at our own body or, or look at someone who's sitting beside you. They have a hand. They have fingers on a hand. They have an arm. They have a head. They have a neck. They have you know legs and feet and, and all of those kinds of things. And he said, we understand that. We know that. And yet as we look at them, we know that each one of those things that's put together, it all goes together to make one body. Then he ends that verse, so it is the body of Christ. We've got hands, we've got feet, we've got eyes, we've got ears, we've got all of these parts that go together to make the body of Christ, the church. And so, just as God is the creator, the designer and the creator of the human body, He is the designer and the creator of the body of Christ. And so he tells us, he says, I want you to consider some things in regard to that body. And what our lesson is going to deal with is some of the behaviors of the body of Christ. As we begin thinking about that tonight, 
One of the things that we really need to get fixed into our mind is the, is the setting in which all of this teaching that Paul is doing here, the setting in which it's going on. Uh, we know some things, quite a bit of things, about the church at Corinth. We've spent almost an entire year now talking about the church at Corinth. We have covered the first 11 chapters, and so we've learned a lot about them. We know a lot about them. And we know that as we are looking at this body, this, this church, the Lord's church at Corinth, that they're having some, some difficulties. But it's within that body at Corinth, as well as other places, that God had chosen to do some things. And one of the things that He had chosen to do in the beginning of the church, because the, the Scriptures had not as yet been written, they didn't have a Bible to turn to and say, let's look and see what, what uh, is said. He gave them what we simply refer to as spiritual gifts. And so it's in the midst of that that Paul begins talking to them. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you, do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, it seems that what Paul is telling us here is that the Christians had some misunderstandings about the spiritual gifts. They had, had not really thought through some of the things that they were doing. And as a result of that, they were doing some wrong things. And Paul needs to correct them in regard to those spiritual gifts, just as he had corrected them, say, for example, back in chapter 5, where they had the... Uh, uh, the man living with his father's wife, and there were problems in regard to that sexual relationship that was going on there. He said, I need to correct that. I need to correct the going to court thing and things about marriage. But here we've got to talk about some things in regard to the spiritual gifts. Paul says, I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want you to be uninformed in regard to these things. It, it seems that when they were pagans, they were led to worship idols. And Paul talks about that, and he says, I want, to, I want to address the matter because you need to understand about these spiritual gifts. They're given for a reason. Look at verse number 2. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute, English Standard Version, by mute idols, however you were led. Well, Paul, what is it that, that you're saying here? Well... The idols themselves were, if you're reading from the King James, dumb. Literally, they were mute. They couldn't speak. And so these, these idols that were made out of wood or made out of gold or made out of stone, they couldn't speak, and yet you were led. How were they led? They were led away, led into doing the worship by teachers. They were led by false teachers who were teaching them to do certain things in regard to worshiping the idols. And we don't have time tonight to, to address all of the things that they did in their worship. You know that some of them were extremely wicked things that they did, and yet they'd been taught to do that. And so Paul says, I, I want you to remember back, I want you to think back. They were led by the false teachers, not by the idols themselves. And then he says, here's the purpose. Look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord 
except by the Holy Spirit. Some of those pagan priests, some of those false teaching pagan priests, were evidently telling them, or maybe they had heard from them before they even became Christians, hey, you shouldn't be a Christian. It's going against our gods that we have here. And so they're, they're, they're bad-mouthing Christ. They're, they're saying things about Christ that, that are not true. And so Paul says, you know, nobody, nobody who is speaking by the Spirit of God, in other words, who's telling you the truth, can make a statement like that. But no one can say Jesus is Lord either unless he has some power behind it. Unless he does it except in the Holy Spirit. He's got to have something to back it up. In other words... It would be just as believable for these pagan priests over here to tell you one thing as it would be for the Christian preachers such as Paul and Peter and Apollos to tell you another thing. It would just be word against word if one of us didn't have something to back it up. If we didn't have the power on our side to show that we are telling the truth. And so Paul, he's explaining that to him. He said, here is the, here's the idea. You know, as, as he helps them understand that, he, he wants them to understand that those with the power, those who had the, the gifts, those who had the miraculous manifestations of these different things, that they were the ones who were telling the truth. And so get that firmly fixed in your mind, Corinthians. Get that firmly fixed that the ones who are doing this are the ones who are telling you what is right. And then Paul goes from there in verses 4 through 7, and he begins to talk about uh, the different kinds of gifts and the different things accomplished with the gifts. But he also tells us that they are from God. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, the one he just mentioned back there in verse number 3, the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What is it you're saying, Paul? What, what is it you're writing? We've got all these different things that people, even in the church at Corinth, are able to do. And and they came from God, and it was God's plan in order for it to be that way. And then what he does in verses 8 through 11 is he begins to list some some of the spiritual gifts. There are nine that are mentioned here. He says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Paul says... All of these things, I wish we had time tonight. We're running out of time in the year to get all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians. But I wish we had time tonight 
to study in detail each one of these. Each one of these nine spiritual gifts that are mentioned here. And what we would see is that in addition to proving that what was being said was from God by the, by the miraculous divine healings and other things that they were doing, he wanted them to understand that, that they could tell the difference between truth and error. Some of them had that ability to know the difference between the truth and the, to distinguish between the spirits. There, there are some who could reveal to them God's plan. He said there's all of these things that are there. We've got these nine spiritual gifts. And so what we're doing rapid fire tonight is we're looking at, at these gifts and, and the purpose behind them, the brief explanation that Paul gives and, and, and listing them. But then what he wants to do is get down to, to really what he needs to talk to them about. The problem that they were having, they likely understood to a great degree already what Paul was talking about and the gifts that were being given and why they were being given. Paul says we've still got a problem here that we need to address. And that's where he's really wanting to go. Now look at those nine gifts that are mentioned here in verses 8 through 11. I didn't get verse 11 up there. But look at these gifts that are given. And I want you to see that they are of different qualities, I guess you might say. Uh, in other words, by different qualities, what I mean by that is, is some, you know, were more evident. Some could be seen. Uh, some could be perceived as being better than others. And that seems to be the problem that Paul needs to address, or at least one of the problems that, that Paul needs to address. Some, some of those Corinthians didn't get the ones that they wanted. They had received, many of them had received gifts, but they didn't get the ones that they wanted. Some thought that because they of the ones that they did get, that they were more special. And thus they became filled with pride. And then you have some, evidently, who did not receive any at all. And Paul will address that later in the chapter here. And so, can you see that if you've got immature people, and they really didn't get the one that they wanted, how they might, might like a little child, pitch a hissy fit. Y'all know what a hissy fit is, don't you? Y'all grew up here in Alabama too. You know what a hissy fit is. That's what they were doing. And they were arguing with each other. They were divided. Do you remember when we began the book of 1 Corinthians by talking about the divisions that were there? Even in the last chapter, chapter number 11, we saw some divisions because there were some who were rich who were eating the Lord's Supper before the others got there. They had their, they made it a common meal and, and others were going hungry and, and there was division that was there. And here's another source. Another source of division within the congregation was the gifts. And Paul says, hey, folks, just like we addressed that matter back in, in chapter 1 about uh, some saying I'm of Paul and some I'm of Apollos and some I'm of Cephas and some I'm of Christ. Just as he addressed that in regard to the division, 
he has to address this matter of spiritual gifts. Because we all know, we all understand, we have the entirety of God's revelation. God wants His people to be united. God wants His congregations, the congregations of His people to be united. Paul says, folks, we've got to talk about this. And so that's where he goes. He introduces all of this in the first 11 verses. And then as we uh, move on, we, we see the application. We see the main point that Paul wants to make. First, he addresses what we'll simply refer to tonight as the behavior of inferiority. The behavior, some of them were behaving as though they were inferior. Paul says, I've got to address that. There, there were the gifts that were inferior. And so we go to verses 15 and 16. Paul says, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make, any less, make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You've got the personification, if you will, of the body parts, and he gives them a voice. He lets them talk, sort of like a cartoon. You know, you see the, you see the little animals, the birds, or whatever they're talking. Well, he lets our, our hands and our eyes and, and all, of, all of the body parts, he says... Uh, they've got a voice here in this illustration. And one is saying, you know what, I, I, I'm an ear and I'm not an eye, so therefore I'm not a part of the body. I, I, I'm a foot, not a hand, so I'm not really a part of the body. Now, if you, don't, if you don't think your foot is a part of the body, then let somebody step on your toe. You'll know that it's connected, won't you? Well, he says here, people are saying that. I really don't feel like I am a part of the body. Those in the Corinthian church without spiritual gifts evidently also felt inferior to those with gifts. But you know what? We can't all be the same, can we? Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear... Where would be the sense of smell? We just got finished with Thanksgiving. And in many homes, probably most homes, you had those Thanksgiving meals being prepared. And you had that turkey cooking, that dressing cooking, and you know, maybe some pies and other things. And that just permeated the house. And it just smelled like Thanksgiving, didn't it? Imagine not being able to smell. Imagine not being able to see the colors of the trees that have changed. Imagine not being able to hear. There's some who can't see. There's some who can't hear. Some who have great difficulty hearing. That, that really is a hindrance. All of those things. Paul says, if, if we just had one part... If every if we were just one big eye, we would not function very well, would we? That's his point. If we were just one part. But brethren, what I want you to understand, Paul says, it's God who put all of these things together. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. Each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Have you ever stopped to think about the magnificence of the human body? I mean, we can see, we can hear, we can smell. We've got these hands and these digits on our hands, these fingers, and we can pick things up. What about a person without a thumb? You know, does that, does that hinder the function of the hand? Sure it does. But God knew that when He was creating Adam. And He gave us all of these different things to function. Imagine the intelligence it took to, de- to, to design and put together the human body. God knew that one big eye would not accomplish very much. And so He designed the human body to be able to function, to work. He, he designed the human body to be able to survive, to overcome the rest of His creation. Did He not tell Adam and Eve, when He created them to have dominion over everything. Are lions more powerful than, than human beings? Well, sure, they have more strength, but we can outsmart them. And so God designed the human body in a very intricate and very detailed way. And He said, you know what? The same thing is true with the body of Christ. All of these gifts that have been given to you. Some folks were saying, I I, I just don't feel like I'm a part of the body because I can't contribute in the same way that brother so-and-so can or sister so-and-so can. I, I I, I, I just can't do the same things. Folks, you know what? Those miraculous spiritual gifts ceased a long time ago. But people haven't changed very much. Have you ever heard someone make a statement similar to this? You know, my regular attendance at all the assemblies is is not all that important. I I don't contribute to to the work of the church very much when I'm there. Well, what if everyone attended the same way? That you did. And I realize talking to the wrong group tonight because this group is generally present for most every worship service and every Wednesday night service. But what if, what if some of those who felt as though they're insignificant and unimportant, what if everybody acted like them? Where would we be? Would we close the doors on Wednesday nights? To save on the light bill and the, uh, you know, the uh, the gas bill, would we would we just do that because nobody was here? What what little I give financially is insignificant. I only draw a small social security check. I'm just a widow. I, you know, we got all these excuses. Have you ever read the book of Luke, chapter twenty-one, verses one through four? Oh, that's the part about the widows. Right? 
She didn't have as much, but what she gave matched everybody else's. Actually, it amounted to more because she gave everything she had. Was that significant? You better believe it was because my Lord talked about it. And He said it was. So why would we have the idea... We don't have the, the miraculous spiritual, but why would we think that just because I'm not a foot or I'm not a hand or I'm not an eye or I'm not an ear, that I'm not important in the work of the Lord? You see, Paul was addressing the spiritual gifts at that time, but God still gives us the things that we can contribute to His work. And so, to say that we're too old and I can't do much for the Lord, or I'm too young and I can't serve now, or I'm not very educated, especially in the Bible, is to do the same thing that Paul is addressing here, just without the miracles that are attached to it. We can't have that idea, that behavior of inferiority. Paul addresses that here and says, we, that's not what, what, what we need to do. It was God who put the thing together. The human body. And it was God who put the church, the body of Christ together. And it was God, do you all remember back in the book of Acts chapter 2, that when we're baptized into Christ, we are added to the body of Christ by Oh, the preacher did that. Nope. A vote of, of the group of people added them to the... Nope. It was God who added us to His church. And if it was He who added us to His church, He gave us a place in it that we are to use and to serve. Paul addresses the idea of inferiority here. There's much more that we could say about that, but we need to go quickly tonight to the behavior of superiority. Just like there were those who believed they were inferior, there were some evidently in the church at Corinth who believed they were superior. They, they were better, better than others. Uh, again, in verse 21, Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, those who were there who, who thought themselves better may have been acting that way toward the foot. I don't need you. We don't need you. You're not contributing that much. I sure would, not, sure would hate to not have feet or not have a hand, just have an eye. Wouldn't you? We can't, we can't have that kind of attitude in the Lord's church. You know, that sort of reminds me of what we're studying on Wednesday nights here in the auditorium class. We've been going through the book of 3 John, that's where we are now. And, and we came this past Wednesday night to a man by the name of Diotrephes. And y'all remember about Diotrephes. We haven't completely studied through Diotrephes, but one of the things John tells us about Diotrephes is those folks basically who disagreed with him, he'd cast them out of the church. I don't have need of you. 
And so we have an inspired example, perhaps, of what Paul is talking about here. And John writes about it several years later. Everybody is a part and plays a part that God has given them. God has made all the parts important. On the contrary, that I have said to the foot, I don't have... On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with great, greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Let me see if I can help us understand. Brother Jeff prayed about it in his prayer tonight. I don't know if he realized what he was praying about tonight went hand in hand with a sermon. But he talked about those in his prayer that work behind the scenes. Did y'all catch that? There are some parts of the body that work behind the scenes, don't they? What are they? I have never physically seen my heart. That blood pump. There are those who've had the open heart surgery. Doctors have held that heart in, the, in his hand. It's there. Good friends, we may not have seen it. It may not be on the outside, but I think we depend on it as much or more than anything, any other part, don't we? What if it decides, y'all have seen the commercial, heard it on the radio at least. What if I, has the heart talk, what if I decide to stop? What if your heart decides to stop? You're going to meet your Lord because physical life on this earth is going to be over. I have never physically seen my liver. I believe I have one. And and, and you know what? I'm pretty sure the liver may not be as attractive, as good looking as somebody's hands. How would you like to walk around with your liver hanging out? Now, I'm not trying to gross you out, but what if your liver quits? There, there, those who have had to have liver transplants because their liver has ceased to function in the way that it should. And without a transplant, they could not continue to live. Those body parts, our stomach, our intestines, all of those things are on the inside. God, God hid them away inside the body. They are working behind the scenes. But give up one of them and see where you go. And there are those behind the scenes workers in the Lord's church who will never stand and preach in the way that I am tonight. They may never teach a Bible class down the hall. They may never lead a song 
as Brother Randy did. But the function that they give to the Lord's church is vitally important. And without those functioning behind the scenes, the Lord's church can't be what God wants it to be. It's going to be like our physical body. It's going to be sick. And so that's why every single one of us are important. No matter what part you play in this congregation of God's people, if you cease to do that, you're like the intestines ceasing to work. Or, you know, if you're one of those behind, and I'm not comparing you to an intestine. Don't, don't say that Mark called me, you know, a colon or something like that. But you understand what I'm saying. You may be behind the scenes, but you are important. And if we don't function as we should, our body, the Lord's body here at Midway, is sick. It, it, it just can't go and grow like it should. We can't say those who perhaps stand in front of you like I do tonight or who take a more visible part, we can't say that we're more important because we're not. We just have a different function within the body. So Paul makes it clear we can't have that idea of superiority. God is the one who has put it all. He's composed it together. Verse number 24. And that brings us to the third idea, the behavior of equality. The behavior of equality. Look at verses 25 through 30. That there may be no division. There, we're back to that theme again. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. One member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you're the body of Christ. And individually, members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, uh, administrating, and, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? You can answer that question. Are all apostles? It's written in such a way as it draws out the no. No, not everybody's an apostle. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. We don't all have the same function, but we're equal. He goes on in verse 31, Earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Now let me park right here for just a moment. What does he mean to 
I thought they had a problem within the church if some were dissatisfied with what they had. And now he comes along and says for them to desire the, the higher gifts. Paul, are you saying that some are, are better than others? Well, what Paul is actually teaching us here is this. We desire to get better. We desire to do more. We, we do that in order that we may function as the body of Christ to an even greater extent. But he makes it clear that we have to do it for the right reason. Desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. What he's wanting them to understand is that just by wanting the higher gifts doesn't mean that they should want them so that they themselves would have more glory. That they would come from that inferiority place to be a superiority person. What is the real reason that they should desire to do more for the Lord? To bring glory to Him and not to themselves. It wasn't that they could self-aggrandize. Say, look at me, what I've done. What is the more excellent way that he desires to teach them? Well, that takes us to chapter 13, and everybody knows what chapter 13 is about. That's the love chapter, right? Paul connects the love... In chapter 13, what we know as chapter 13, to what they should be doing in regard to the spiritual gifts. Three things that Paul would say about that, three, three primary things, that points that Paul wants to add across in chapter 13, about that more excellent way, that way of love. In the first three verses, what he's going to teach us is that love itself is superior to even the miraculous that they're able to do. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What were they wanting to do? Some of them, they didn't have the, the, the power to speak in tongues or to interpret tongues, and that's the one they wanted because that was, man, that stood out like a sore thumb. But he said, if I, even if I can do that, if I don't have love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, we're going back to those things that he just named off, those nine things that he named off back in chapter 12. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. Folks, you can't just want these gifts so that you look better. We've got to solve the division problem in Corinth. Paul says the way to do that is that more excellent way, the way of love. So those first three verses that we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he shows that, that love, this more excellent way, is superior to the miraculous spiritual gifts. Then he moves in verses 4 through 7. And you know what he teaches us there? Love knows how to behave. It knows how to act. 
Some of the Corinthians weren't acting right. Even in regard to their spiritual gifts, they weren't acting right. Paul is showing them the more, more excellent way. How does love act? Love's patient. It's kind. Does not envy or boast. Not arrogant. Not rude. Does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Well, they could stand a dose of that in the church at Corinth. And it's still the more excellent way, and we need heavy doses of it in the Lord's church today as well. Love knows how to act. The Corinthians weren't acting like they loved one another. Paul says, let me tell you about how you need to be. And then, beginning in verse number 8 and going through the end of the chapter, verse number 13, he makes it clear that love is going to endure. Love never ends, he says here, beginning in verse 8. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, thought it like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You know, as Paul uses those things here, he talks about the prophecies and the tongues and all of the knowledge and so forth. He says all of that's passing away. And he says, when the perfect was come, when was that? When the complete revelation of God's Word had been recorded for us, there would be no need for the speaking in tongues. There would be no need for those who were endowed with miraculous knowledge. There would be no need for it. We have a copy of God's Word. We can pick it up. We can read it. It can be translated into any language in the, in the world. And so... The things that they really were clamoring for, that they wanted to make themselves look good and separate themselves into these different groups, Paul said, it's going away, folks. But love is going to endure. He continues on in verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now... Faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest. Do you remember how he introduced it? Let me show you a more excellent way. But the greatest of these is love. There will be a day when faith will be sight. Then a day when hope will be known. And there won't be faith anymore because we, we're there. We see it's, it's all clearly evident. There won't be hope anymore because we've received. But even then, there will still be love. He that does not love does not know God. For God is First John chapter 4, verse number 8. If we're going to spend eternity in God's house with God, we're going to have to be like 
Him. And one of those great characteristics is love. When each fills his role in the body of Christ, what's the result? What's the result? Paul would write about it again to another church, the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, talks about the body. He says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, that's what we're actually talking about tonight, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. Watch this. In love. Do we want the church to grow? The body of Christ to grow? And we have to fill our part. We have to do that because we love our God. And we love our fellow men. And it's only then that we'll take the leadership positions and we'll take the positions that are, that are not leadership positions, we'll take the behind-the-scenes positions and we will work at them to function in them as the best we can. And when we're functioning as God intends for His body to function, He will be glorified and His body will grow. question is, is each one of us filling our place. If you feel inferior tonight, you're not filling your place in the way that you should because you have wrong thinking. Tonight, if, if you feel superior because you can do more than some other folks, you're not filling your place because that's wrong thinking. Paul addresses it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, Paul closes it out and says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Are you filling your place in the body? It may be tonight that you need to become a part of that body by being baptized, added to it by the Lord Himself. If you've never obeyed the gospel, tonight is the time. There's no better time. If you need to know more about what you need to do, we'd love to sit down with you and study from the Word of God. Maybe you're here and in the past you've become a part of the body of Christ, but you haven't been functioning like you should. I hope tonight that you'll make the decision that you're going to be the best whatever that you possibly can be in the body of Christ. Whatever place that it is for you to feel, you're going to do it to the best of your ability from this day forward. And if you need to come tonight because you haven't been the kind of person that God needs you to be, wants you to be, then His invitation is open to you right now.